0: This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery.
1: Welcome to Discovery. I'm your host, Cal Steiger. Our show today marks the last of the student podcasts from Durham College. After seven weeks of shows, we have loved the range of content and ideas. Today, we feature Jasper Axford and Raven Ashburn, who chat about the world of role-playing from video games to tabletop and beyond. Following, we have two encore presentations of student podcasts. Amara Ahmed talks about the history of International Mother Language Day and how languages can be preserved. Then, Tank Parade with Spencer Loback and Curtis Mason, who shared their thoughts on the moves made at the NHL trade deadline. First up, a bit on role-playing.
2: Hello out there. My name is Jasper Axford, though that's not always the case, and I promise that has nothing to do with any kind of woke culture. I love to play role-playing games, also known as RPGs. If you've seen Stranger Things and heard them talking about Dungeons & Dragons, you're on the right track. From tabletop games like that, to online play-by-post style games, to video games, and even live action role-playing or LARP, I've had my hands in a lot of role-play over the years. And being as intersectional as I am by being a nearly 30-year-old queer disabled Jew, role-playing has allowed me to dive deep. And explore all different parts of myself, but don't just take my word for it. I sat down with my good friend Raven Ashbourne to talk about his experiences in role-playing as well. On top of being a role player, he also works as an extra for TV shows and as voiceover work. Welcome to the conversation, Raven.
0: Hey, thank you for having me.
2: <laughs> so how did you start getting involved with RPGs?
0: I, I started getting because like it was totally a random event where I was like 21 uh, and I was working at a home hardware and I'd always loved like video games and I'm a very like drama kid, improv, all that sort of thing. And some guy walked into my home hardware wearing a shirt that had a dice on it and it was breaking through glass and it said crit happens. And I was like, that's a nice shirt. That's pretty cool. Because I'd heard about, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and RPGs and stuff. And I was, I was RPG curious and, uh, and he basically just went like, oh, you want to play? I was like, I, uh, sure. And then he invited me to his place. And uh, i that's the first time I played a pen and paper game. And the rest is history. And I'm still friends with that guy.
2: And what's your experience been like in the, the community?
0: It's of, been really uh, good. I like as a like as a, a male identifying person, I, I definitely think that like it's. It, it's it's hard for me to say that like oh it's so accepting and not feel the like hypocrisy that that sort of that comes with but uh there have been moments where like i've seen the the sort of negative sides of it and it's it's easy to recognize because those groups they they don't feel as cohesive they don't feel as like welcoming in the way that rpgs are supposed to be where it's all about like yeah yes and that like improv rule and so when someone comes in and they're not feeling accepted. It just doesn't feel like it the right kind of space
2: yeah i can definitely see that Mm -hmm. um i know like sometimes it can be a careful line to walk too because Mm -hmm. there are some there's there's definitely some of the stereotypes that you hear about in the community of like you know the the nerdy guys who live in their you know mother's basement who are like yeah
0: yeah um they're very like pick me, like kind of
2: very it, much kind of like um, the stereotypes that you see in Big Bang Theory.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: And I, as much as like, yeah, there is occasionally that type of person. They, mm-hmm. in my experience, it's not been like the predominant.
0: Exactly, and it, it's like I think even the first RPG I was a part of, it was very like open. Uh, the first like long form, I guess, campaign you could say that I played. Uh, we literally went to, um, the Ryerson cafeteria. That's sort of like this open public space that you can go to from like 8 AM to like 8 PM. And we would go there, we would get a table and we would just like, if we would post online being like, anyone can come just like show up and have a character. And so random people would show up and there would be times where those, those people would show up, uh, like, and they'd sit down and they'd be like, oh, my character's going to, and it didn't fit, you know, they didn't understand that. like." If you bring this sort of like everything's about me mentality, even if you're unaware you're doing it, it's going to suck for you. It's going to suck for everyone that's at the table with you. And it's just going to make everyone uncomfortable.
2: Yeah. I think that's definitely a fortunate thing of like, especially as I've played more and have played with more women.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
2: definitely very much been like you're making somebody uncomfortable. You need to leave.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not like, oh, let's figure out how to make this work for everyone just to sort of like placate it like these sort of horrible people. It's definitely been like, no, you didn't get it. You don't you didn't read the first rule is have fun. You need to get out.
2: So have you generally found that the community is really welcoming in that way?
0: Yeah, I think in, in the right environment, like I think it's one of the most welcoming communities, but it does have that sort of like. If you if you like just sort of jump in in the wrong place, it can it can really feel like the wrong thing.
2: Honestly, being in the LARP community and and knowing that there are so many people who are part of so many different like subsections of my identity (laughs) within the community. It's been so easy to be like, yeah, I think I'm non-binary. This is the name I want to go by now. And people have been picking that up so easily and have been like yeah i support you and like
0: yeah yeah i i I, like it does seem to be a little bit i don't want to say easier but just like more like open in in some like rpg communities i i don't i i can't for sure say why that is my theory is because you basically are already doing that with each other you're going i'm cragnock the orc and everyone's like yeah totally and yeah like I'm, I'm a like I'm a skinny little guy. I'm not some like buff huge orc that can you know rip someone's arms off.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. So have you found that you're able to like form really strong like friendships and relationships through
0: yeah I, I find that like uh i I don't want to say like I gravitate towards those sort of people, but I just find that like when I join a game. And it goes really well. Say we play for like three or four months. And then after that, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want it to end there. I want to like keep going either with the story or I want to start up a new story. And so I have like so many people in my phone, on my social medias where like I'll message them like every other month or something. they like, Hey, how are you? Just want to like, keep up. You got any games going right now? Do you want to join some of my games that are going? And so they, they sort of have formed these lifelong relationships and, uh, it it really does seem like even now going forward, a lot of the people that I like run into where I'm like, oh, this is out of the context of RPGs. We'll start talking and then I'll be like, I'm really getting along with this person. And then they'll mention, oh, by the way, I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons or something. I'm like, of course you are. I should have known. We wouldn't have gone along if you didn't.
2: Dungeons and Dragons has become like such a big thing. It's hard to yeah. avoid. Yeah. It's kind exactly. of like the OG.
0: Yeah, really. Well, yeah. It's in, it's in some ways. It's funny because it wasn't the first thing I played. I played something called uh, uh, Monster Hearts, which is sort of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's very like okay. based off of that show. It's it's a game system called Fueled by the Apocalypse. Uh, okay. It's a very like rules light, heavy role play kind of system. It's very fun.
2: I love some of those systems.
0: Yeah, I because think because uh, you
2: really get to like embody the character, and yeah. I think that's part of why I like LARPing is because you get to really be yeah. that person rather than just, you know, look at your stats and go, this is the person.
0: I, I recommend it for uh, for you then if you if you like that. Well, this is awesome. Thanks so much for including me in this.
2: Thanks for joining me, Raven. So if that didn't convince y'all, I don't know it will. It's been through these experiences that I've been able to meet such incredible and lifelong friends and forge relationships that I already know stand the test of time. Even though I haven't met every person that I roleplay with, they're all valuable people in my life and I know I'm better for knowing them. And I think that's the most important takeaway for me. So if you'd like to get involved with roleplaying, I have a few quick tips. For Dungeons and Dragons, try checking out your nearest gaming shop or board game cafe. And if that's a bust, try out the website Roll20.net. For play by post style games, try searching a special interest with the word roleplay afterward. And for LARP, you can do the same, but with LARP afterward. Or find me at Endless Adventures Ontario Games. For more information, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as M-I-C-H-E-A-X, or search Jasper Axford.
3: Goodbye, and have a nice day.
1: Up next, an encore presentation of Amara Ahmed's podcast.
3: Hello, I'm Amara Ahmad and you're listening to 105.9 The Region. 21st of January is the International Mother Language Day. This day is celebrated on the 21st of February around the world every year to promote awareness about linguistic and cultural diversity, multiculturalism as well as language preservation. It was recognized in 1999 by UNESCO and eventually by the United Nations General Assembly. Firstly, a little bit about myself and why this day matters to me. I am currently an international student at Durham College. I am originally from Pakistan where I have been a journalist for quite some time. The sad truth is that the origin of this day actually lies in the history of my country. On the 21st of February 1952, that is 61 years ago today, The government of Pakistan actually opened fire on the students of University of Dhaka who were actually opposing the imposition of Urdu language on what was then East Pakistan and is now called Bangladesh. Five of the students died and to commemorate them, Bangladesh established this day of the mother language. East Pakistan was actually a part of Pakistan that was Bengali, it is now called Bangladesh and their mother language was Bengali. They did not want to learn and speak Urdu, which was a language that they didn't deemed to be their own. And this gory and unfortunate incident actually paved the path for the world to realize the importance of preserving one's own mother language. In the past few years, I have been extremely concerned about the state of my own mother language, Punjabi, which is on the brink of extinction despite being the 10th most spoken language in the world and one of the main reasons behind that is that parents and families have actually stopped speaking to their children in Punjabi. Unfortunately, Punjabi is neither the official language of Pakistan nor is it taught in schools. Incidentally, Punjabi is the third most commonly spoken language in Canada because millions and millions of Punjabis from India and Pakistan are actually coming to Canada as immigrants. Unfortunately, when Punjabis reach Canada, they make that they don't speak Punjabi to their children. In order to improve their chances of adjusting in this new society, they start speaking English to their children. And then eventually, their children are absolutely unable to even understand what their parents are saying to each other. Kurmeet Kaur is a bilingual storyteller, writer and teacher of Punjabi language who is based in Toronto. She has compiled the first collection of stories for children in Punjabi as well as English. It's called The Fascinating Folk Tales of Punjab and thousands of children have already benefited from it. Here is what Gurmeet has to say about the challenge of preserving Punjabi.
4: Languages do not die because they become irrelevant with time or are killed off by predatory languages of greater scope or richness. Languages die because people switch to other languages and the community stops using their native language with their children because of economic, social or political pressures, or because of immigration but primarily because of a lack of responsible behavior. Unfortunately, the Punjabi language is facing each of these challenges today, and it has no support structure to fight these. Over half a million immigrants speak it from both India and Pakistan. However, most schools, even with a significant Punjabi population, do not offer Punjabi as a language. Punjabis immigrating from Pakistan declare Urdu as their native language, they do not associate with Gurmukhi script used to read and write the Punjabi language, having lost touch with it in the last 75 years. Punjabis immigrating from India think they already know the Punjabi language and that their priority is to teach their kids English and French so they can be successful in their lives. They do not actively push for preserving the Punjabi language only to be shocked a few years later when their kids cannot speak, read, write or relate to it beyond a very basic level.
3: Almost 96% of the world's population actually speaks the top six languages that are the most spoken languages in the world, like Hindi, English, Chinese, French, Spanish and Arabic. And most of these languages are actually languages of the colonizers. So wherever colonization took place, which includes actually North America, the language of the colonizer was adopted and the rest of the 96% of the languages which are which actually make up over 7000 languages in total are spoken by only 4% of the world population and even that population usually happens to be multilingual. So these languages, which actually are thousands of languages, so these thousands of languages are actually on the brink of extinction. In fact, language conservationists believe that by the end of the century, most of the languages will be gone and we might become a monolingual species. Most indigenous people, as you know, now speak English or French and this is a classic case of how languages become extinct. The Canadian Parliament officially recognizes the International Mother Language Day and this day holds immense importance in this country because 5% of Canada is Indigenous. Some 70 Indigenous languages are being spoken in Canada right now and many of them have as few as 1,000 speakers. We spoke to Amanda Panig who is an Indigenous student success coordinator at Durham College. Basically, she runs the Indigenous Centre at the College. She speaks Anishinaabe and is an Ojibwe woman of the Bear Clan from Fort Williams First Nations. So here is what Amanda has to say. Of the language,
5: uh, it's definitely impacted our communities a lot more here. We don't really see the language around on the signs um, or uh, anywhere off of our First Nation, or the First Nation communities, where within nor- Northwestern Ontario, you see a lot more representation of the language. You see the Cree language, the uh, Anishinaabe language, uh, so you do see a lot more representation if you look into the North. And if we think about what could be done to help revive the languages, it's exactly what we're doing in the in the North, making sure that we have language revitalization as a priority. In our current stance, we have a Canadian government who has control over what happens in Indigenous communities. That's not how sovereignty works. So we have leadership within our communities, but they don't sit at the same table as uh, that prime minister role or other people within the MPP or higher offices, also allocating the funds that are Indigenous funds. There's an account that has trillions of dollars in it that is Indigenous money, yet we don't have the opportunity to access those funds on our own. If we really think about how we'd be able to move forward, it goes towards reconciliation as well. These are one of the recommendations uh, from the 94 Calls to Action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is language revitalization, uh, because It was that uh, through genocide, there was that cultural genocide and language genocide. So they tried to extinguish our language.
3: In my opinion, in today's day and age, many people and many conservationists, many organizations have become conscious of the fact that we are moving towards language extinction very swiftly. And they have created certain awareness about uh, why language preservation is important. And I believe that the onus lies on us. Me being a Punjabi speaker, I I should improve on my Punjabi skills. Uh, Fortunately, Punjabi is very... Fortunately, I was raised by my grandparents and they were fluent in Punjabi. They also spoke to me in Punjabi. I should and I am now learning uh, how to write the Punjabi script. It is our responsibility as parents, as a community, as a family to not just consciously continue speaking our language so that we don't lose that skill, but to inculcate this skill in our children. So. I don't think it is all bleak and I think the way to go forward is to take this matter in our hands and make sure that we speak the language, we read and write the language and that we impart it to our children and the younger members of our community. I want to conclude this show by saying that this day is not meant to make us feel depressed or paint a bleak picture about our mother language but rather to generate awareness and consciousness about language preservation and what we can do in order to protect and preserve our own mother language and culture. So if you love your mother language, then learn it, speak it, and teach it. I'm Amara Ahmad, and you're listening to 105.9 The Region.
1: For our second Encore presentation, we tune into Tank Parade.
6: Hello and welcome to another episode of Tank Parade. I'm Spencer Lobeck and this week we'll be taking a look at the NHL trade deadline and all of the major contenders' moves. We're joined by my co-host, Curtis Mason. So, Curtis, where do you, where do you want to start?
7: Well, I'm probably going to have to go with uh, one of the best accurate decisions at the trade deadline this year. A team that made multiple moves. I'm going to go with the New York Rangers. It's a good start. That's a good start.
6: So this year, at the trade lead line, the Rangers have gained Vladimir Tarasenko and Patrick Kane for their first this year, a second, a fourth round this and next year, and Sammy Blade, which is going back to the Blues.
7: Which, to me, it's, it's kind of... I kind of think that just shoots them all the way to the top as the, one of the top contenders in the East getting two probably 31-year-old UFAs this summer, but you're in the win-now phase. Yeah, no, you, you definitely have to kind of, like, bet on now and not, like,
6: the future. Like, they, they got Vladimir Tarasenko and Patrick Kane, which have both won Cups with, with, with their franchises. Have the
7: experience, yes. Yeah,
6: so they're, they're veterans, they're they're ready to, like, and Kane is ready to reunite with Panarin, they're like, one of the best combinations, like, he we
7: won a rookie of the year when he was, like, 26. With Patrick Kane. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty easy with that one. They're just all in. They're ready to go.
6: Mm-hmm.
7: The the only downside
6: I see that if they don't really show up and like first or second round exit, then they kind of just did that for nothing.
7: Well, I could see that happening if they face this team, uh, the New Jersey Devils.
6: Yeah, no, that, that that that's the other Metro team that did pretty well. They got uh, team O'Meyer and Curtis Lazar. I'd, I'd say the positive is uh, we got a team's top scoring winger, which was our team's biggest need. And then um, we got some depths for the fourth line, and they didn't have to give up any of their top prospects, like you said.
7: Yeah, and also another big positive towards the Timo Meyer trade is he's an RFA. You have the rights to uh, give him a negotiation, and you uh, can take him to either arbitration and get that extra year of uh, – his scoring abilities. Mm-hmm. You
6: no, know, so like, I, I really wish that there was a contract already in place. And then I'd say that it's just a win off the bat. But I mean, if he holds out and we lose him or we can't pay someone else, I mean, it, it, it's going to be dicey thereafter. But for, for, for this playoff run, I really hope that they do well.
7: <laughs> Alright And now continuing on With this Stacked Beast Trade uh, Trade deadline there We're going to move on To the Toronto Maple Leafs Yeah The whole new team and they got It felt like it yeah. They have swapped out And swapped in So many D po- uh, Players And Just really Just really Just changed the make of their team within Mm -hmm. uh, the two like the last two weeks there they really got rid of like almost
6: every one of their picks for the
7: next three years
6: but I mean like they focused so much on defense which was such a good idea for Dubas to do, because they got Ryan O'Reilly, which is an amazing two-way center. They got Noel Achari, which he is also good defensively. Jake McCabe, a defenseman from, like, one of Chicago's best defensemen this year. Eric Gustafson, another good depth defenseman. And Luke Shen, the return of Luke Shen to, to Toronto.
7: Brian Burke is somewhere... (laughs) Laughing. Laughing that he knew that the prodigal son has returned. (laughs) Yeah. But on the negative side, they lost probably a top four defenseman in Rasmus Sandin. Yeah, that's hard. Who had team control for, I think, the next three years there. Mm hmm And uh, they did really well in keeping their picks, but I'm still trying to figure out why they got rid of uh, Rasmus there.
6: Yeah, I think it was kind of just like a a next player up mentality. Like, they really didn't have the space for Rasmus Sandin, especially with acquiring Gustafson and McCabe and all of the different defensemen. Like, it's just like, he didn't have anywhere to play this year, and they're going for this year. They don't care about next year.
7: Well, I really hope they make it out of the first round and hope they don't get stuck with uh, the person that started this curse. And I'm going to go with the Boston Bruins here. Yeah, no, they they, they they also did improve pretty well, they they uh, they, they
6: shored up their defense with or- or, Orlov and they got Tyler Bertuzzi and Garnet Hathaway as forwards. They did give two firsts, a second, and a third. But I mean, I think this makes them the most well-rounded team in the NHL.
7: Especially improving that defense, like weaker end defensive uh, core that they got there. Adding Orlov, who's got the playoff experience, he's one of the top four four, uh, defensemen from Washington there Uh, just getting that experience there just to bulk up their defense and Mm-mm. Having a guy that in uh, Tyler Pertuzzi there just... Who hits and hits and hits and hits. <laughs> and that's what's going to win. Some would say it would win you a lot of games in the playoffs. There's that grit.
6: They're still mad about losing to the Blues in the playoffs. <laughs> but uh, they are expiring contracts. But, I mean, it's Boston. So they'll probably sign for league minimum and then for <laughs> next year. That's just what <laughs> happens with Boston. So, uh, all right. Well, I'm going to move to the West with the, the Golden Knights. The first time the Golden Knights have not acquired a huge name at the deadline. Max Pacioretty, like, so on and so on. There's so many big names on that team. Jack Eichel, there's just, there's so many big names. This is the one time, I think, that they've gone through a trade deadline and not acquired, like, an A player. They got Ivan Barbashev, Teddy Bluger, and Jonathan Quick. Actually, Jonathan Quick might be that name.
7: Yeah, he might have been that name five years ago. That's true. Now, since his career is kind of in the tail end, the twilight of his career, he gets to go on one more big run with uh, the Golden Knights there, hopefully, if they make it through anyways. It sucks that they had to give up Zach Dean, though, because, like, he was their last
6: first-round pick. Like, they have no first-round picks that they've drafted now, like, ever. Like for all the years. Like he was their last one and he was developing slowly, but now he's gone. They have no first round picks. No Cody Glass, none. None. No first round picks.
7: Other than losing uh, Zach Dean there was the last first round pick, they did only have to give up a third and a backup in Michael Hutchinson, who was. I haven't heard him in the league in a few <laughs> years as well yeah, so yeah. It's, they did pretty good Like had a really good haul for what they've given up yeah they, they, they got a lot more than
6: they gave in, in, in my opinion
7: mm-hmm.
6: alright and last but not least with I think we have Edmonton and them acquiring Nick Bugstag Matthias Ekholm and Patrick Pulsola for Tyson Berry a first a third a fourth and finally moving off of Pugliarvi
7: yeah, moving off of Pouliarvi, to me at first I thought why why would they move like why would they move away from him when they need that extra scoring depth there? But seeing that he wouldn't have returned after the summer here, he he needed that change of scenery and who else to take him than the finish loving Carl Carolina Hurricanes who yeah. just love to scrum until finish. <laughs>
6: yeah. yeah, but um I'm actually really like proud of of like Ken Holland for doing this, just because like they got rid of Tyson Berry, which he's just a complete liability defensively. Like he has a good upside offensively. If they but moved just, him
7: into a top four, a top six uh, forward, there, it, it, things might have changed out. But yeah. now they got the puck moving defensive yeah. defenseman in Ekholm, so.
6: yeah, who, who's had monster years on uh, the the Predators. But we all know that as soon as a Predators defenseman leaves the Predators they're washed up yeah. so there's something about that culture that just makes them so
7: good yeah and just getting that Nick Busead from Arizona there they replace they, they basically just plug him in where Pooley was and they've probably either gained depending on if he's well he is having a good year anyway so they've gained more than they've lost there
6: for sure All right, well, thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Tank Parade. (laughs) And we'll see you next week, guys. Thank you. That's our show for this week, and we hope you
1: enjoyed all the podcasts by the students of the radio broadcasting program at Durham College. Go to 1059theregion.com to revisit all our past episodes or catch up on Discovery wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next week.